Good morning. How are you guys? Um, it is, uh, it's really my pleasure to be back. Um, a lot of you have no clue who I am, and you are not missing much at all. So, um, but those of you that, uh, that know, I was on staff here uh, for, uh, for a while, and so this is just like coming home, and uh, love you and love uh, where we're headed this morning. Um, I just got to give you a warning right off the bat. This is an intense morning uh, for us. And um, you need to hear my heart two things. One, I love you tremendously. And otherwise, I wouldn't be walking us through or walking through this morning. And then second thing is, is really just for you to catch the heart of where we're headed is if by the end of the morning, you don't feel a closer draw or connection to God as, as a real daddy to you, then we've come up short. So just kind of give you a teaser where, where we're headed. That, that's what my hope is this morning. This has been a crazy couple of weeks uh, for my family and I. I lost my grandfather a couple of weeks ago and um, cancer in the throat, and it was just a crazy week and a half in the hospital with him. He was... Uh, just everything uh, to me, and just a real constant dad in my life, and, um, but, and yet I cherished that, that week and a half that we got to spend in the hospital, uh, because with my own father, I, I didn't get that. He had had just a sudden heart attack at 48 and was gone, and so this time with my grandfather, there was just nothing left unsaid. We just really got to have some amazing time. He loved Jesus. He had lived a tremendous life. And so just knowing where, where he was headed, um, it's bittersweet and it's a sad loss. But knowing the outcome, knowing the end, it, it just changes the whole story. Um, but because he was dealing with cancer, um, it brought to the surface some stuff that I was dealing with on my own at the same time. Um, just a, a few days prior to getting the news about my grandfather going into the hospital, um, I, I went in and had these five areas biopsied on my body, and they, and they just all needed to be removed. And uh, so they were all like atypical, something or other weird sunspots. And they come in with like a weird, like a melon baller, basically, and just scoop out these areas and um, treat them. Um, then he looked at my face and uh, my head, and he said, um, you've got some precancerous uh, cells that are forming on your face and your head. And so we're going to need to treat that. This will lead to cancer, he said. And it may take five years to present itself, or it might be 25 but we're gonna to need to start you on really the lowest form of chemotherapy. It's a chemo cream that you put on topically on your whole face and your whole head. So I needed like gallons of it because my head is so large. And he said, um, you're gonna put it on twice a day for about four weeks. And he said, you're gonna look pretty gross for a while. He goes, what do you do for a living? I told him, and he just went, ooh, you're going to want to get those weeks covered. He said, for a couple of weeks, you're going to look like this. And he opened his little coat, and in a millisecond, he just opened his coat, he pulled out a picture, did this, and put it right back in. And what I saw in that millisecond was 
so hideous. It just looked like some creature or somebody had dropped battery acid on it. It was awful. And I thought, this is not going to be good. I don't want to do this. This is not good at all. I ended up doing it. And um, so the last few weeks have been rough. I'm doing better now. I'm about a week away from it being, you know, pretty much fully gone and healed. But just to clue you in, um, most of you remember what I looked like prior to the treatment, but some of you don't. So just as a reminder, this is pre-treatment me uh, up on the screen. Um, and so, I mean, this stuff's brutal. Uh, you could tell how much it's taken its toll. Uh, I mean, it affected my eye color and hair and uh, acting ability, everything. Just who knew cream could do that? Um, but really, th this next one is actually me. And um, what happens is you start to put this stuff on, and you can take a look here. Um, it, it got kind of gross. Um, you put it on, and it turns this just really bright red. Um, and this was not even close to the worst of it. Pretty soon, my whole face just was totally like looked sunburn. It then all scabs over and starts to crack and bleed. And then basically, um, you get a new face out of the deal. And, um, um, but you're just lucky it wasn't last week, because when it hit high gear, then this is, this is what I looked like. And uh, th th that was really the worst of it. So um, you can thank me later that I didn't come last week. Uh, my phrasing would have been all different and messed up. And, um, I could have looked at the news from this dermatologist and just said, no, no thanks. I don't want to go through the hassle of things getting worse before they get better. I could have heard that, oh, it might be five years, it might be 25, and just ignored it for now. I could have done nothing about treating something on my face that from him was a guarantee to lead to cancer, knowing that if I didn't do anything with it, eventually it's going to lead to cancer, and if I don't do anything about that, it's going to lead to, to death. And so it was a serious moment, not just because I care about me, but I care about my family, I care about my boys, where I, I knew I needed to treat it. I couldn't just leave it unchecked. I had to allow things to get worse before they got better because I knew that this was one of those things that even though it might take time, it's going to gain momentum. Enter this interesting parallel for us with regard to the sin in our life. All of us are affected by this, this disease of sin, and it is affecting us right now whether we know it or not. And the effects of it may not present themselves in your life for a very long time, but left unchecked, it will lead to tremendous consequences in life and eventually death, if not dealt with. And so it's why the heart of God, and certainly what we're gonna look at today, the heart of Jesus, the very words of Jesus, are so strong in addressing this issue of sin in our life. You're gonna hear the words of Jesus basically say, you've got to do whatever it takes 
to address the sin issues in your life. Because the way sin works is, is it gains momentum, it doesn't lose it. If you do nothing, if you ignore it, whether it's a little thing, a medium thing, or a large thing, the nature of sin is to build and gain and snowball effect in your life to get to the point where it can really destroy you. And Jesus' heart is just to spare us from that. He's not only concerned about our life now, but eternity too. He doesn't want the separation that sin brings to last forever. Enter Mark chapter 9. The very end of this chapter, verses 42 through 50, is where we're at this morning. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there in the New Testament, second book of the New Testament, Mark chapter 9. If you don't have it, it'll be up on the screen. The very words of Jesus, and you're going to catch it right off the bat, just how strong they are. Listen, Jesus says in verse 42, And if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into the hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the hell where into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Right off the bat, the severity of sin is what Jesus is attacking here. He knows that it's a snowball effect, a momentum-building thing that leads to consequences and death and separation from God. And so he's just going... Take it seriously. Do whatever it takes to deal with the sin issues in your life. Don't let it just sit and stay put. Deal with it. In verse 42, he says, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. The severity of you causing a young believer to sin is incredibly severe from God's perspective. Whether they are young in age or just young in the faith, before they have an opportunity for their faith to have some strong roots and good foundation, it's so easy for sin to entangle and just train wreck their life. And so how awful is it if you drag these young believers into sin, into gossip, into squabbles, into divisions that you yourself may escape from, but they may come out shipwrecked. Jesus is going, it would be better for you to be thrown into the ocean with a big rock hung around your neck than to usher in 
a young believer into this snowball, momentum-building, fast track of sin. Don't do it. And then he personalizes it in 43 through 48. Take your own sin seriously. And so again, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Obviously, guys, this is not an encouragement on the part of Jesus for self-mutilation. He's not literally encouraging you to go chop off limbs or body parts. Because logically, right, that doesn't go far enough in controlling sin. I mean, even if that's really what he was driving at, which he isn't, that wouldn't go far enough. Because if I chop off this hand, for one thing, I've still got another hand. I've got another foot. I've got another eye. Sin isn't just a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's a heart issue. And it's something that in our own strength and power, we can't control. That's why we need a savior. That's why we need a God. That's why we need this father that's got power to overcome it. And yet we do have a part in combating it. We do have a role in fighting the sin that's in our life. And that's why he's just saying, do whatever it takes, hand, foot, eye. They're the cause of some sort of sin. Deal with it however severely you need to. Don't, don't let it just sit there. Deal with it. Go hard after it. He said otherwise, it really, realistically, it would be better to go through the hardship, the struggle of dealing with sin than it would be to be completely destroyed, just wiped out, suffering forever in hell. When he says that word hell, when he was speaking to the disciples and the listeners in this moment, when he said it would be better for you to be thrown into hell, the word that they would have heard in their language would have been Gehenna. And it would have instantly painted this word picture because Gehenna was a valley just outside the city of Jerusalem. And in Old Testament days, that valley had been used for some awful things. For a while, evil kings used it to offer living sacrifices to false gods. They would light the bottom of the valley on fire, and then they would throw living babies, child sacrifices, down into the fire below, offering these child sacrifices to fake gods. It was awful. The godly and young King Josiah put an end to that practice. But by the time Jesus is speaking these words, the valley of Gehenna, or the valley of Hinnom, outside Jerusalem, had been turned into the city dump. And so it was still constantly on fire, constantly burning, 
all the trash, all the garbage, all the dead animal carcasses from the city, all the bodies of executed criminals were taken out into the city dump, this valley of Hinnom, and thrown into there, and it was constantly burning up the trash and the garbage and the waste. Undoubtedly, the winds would shift and occasionally blow the smoke and the smell of the city dump into the town. And so when Jesus says, it's better for you to struggle with sin and deal with it, even though it's hard, because the alternative is hell. I don't like talking about this, y'all. I don't even like thinking about it. And I imagine that there was just almost a moment of, oh man, pause for Jesus as he began to unpack this. And as he says, it would be better for you to deal with this than to be thrown into hell. Because when you, when you describe hell, it's like spending forever at the bottom of this valley. And so, so deal with it. Do what you need to. Matthew Henry, a real old school Bible scholar, about this topic said this. He said, this is good. We must put ourselves to pain that we may not bring ourselves to ruin. Self must be denied that it may not be destroyed. That's good. I'm going to read it again. We must put ourselves to pain that we may not bring ourselves to complete ruin. Self must be denied so that it just might not be completely destroyed. That's good. That deserves a right on or an amen or a mm-hmm. I like that. Because that, that's, that's important, but it's difficult. We don't want to deny ourselves. We don't want to be disciplined. We don't want to have to learn how to say no. We don't want to have to struggle and fight the battle against sin because it's difficult. But the reminder of the words of Jesus are we have to deal with it because the momentum building effects can train wreck a life here. They can train wreck and spill over into other lives. But left undealt with, there's an eternal picture in mind. Because God is just and holy, he can't just look at sin and go, oh, it's no big deal. Rapist, Hitler, child molesters, whatever, it's no biggie. God hates sin. And as a good judge, he has to punish it. And he can't just look the other way. He knows it has consequences here and for eternity, and so he's given us a way out. It's through his grace. It's through his love. It's through his forgiveness. It's through his power. It's through that relationship with daddy that there's hope and there's help and healing. And so he just says, hell is not a place you would choose. This is not a good place. If you really got it, Nobody would choose it. You might choose sin, but if you really got hell, you're not going to choose hell. We choose sin all the time, right? Because it feels good. If it didn't, we wouldn't do it, right? 
I would choose sin, but if I really understood hell, I, I know I wouldn't choose it. If I'm standing at the edge of a burning lake of fire, I'm not jumping in. If I really got it, it's right there in front of my face. But I might choose sin because there's something deceptively attractive about it. It's deceiving. It's just like uh, I would never choose obesity, but I might choose Krispy Kreme donuts. <laughs> Some people would choose to smoke cigarettes, but if you pressed them on the issue, they probably wouldn't tell you that they would choose lung cancer. It's the same thing. We might choose sin, but if we knew what hell was like, we wouldn't choose it. And so Jesus is just going, you've got to get a picture here. Where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. It's like the worm of your conscience. Somewhere between that guilt and that conviction that just gnaws away at you. And then this fire that's not quenched. My face at its worst was like the worst sunburn I've ever had. And the areas that didn't feel like they were burning, it, it was like... It was like bugs were just gnawing at, it was so itchy, and I just wanted to scratch at it. And when I read this passage, I just thought, if that's even close to what hell is like, like this, this sensation of burning and gnawing, uh, oh man, if that's just a fraction, an iota of it, it's awful. I don't, want, I don't want to go there. I don't want you to go there. I don't want anybody I know to go there. Um, it's hideous. Take it serious. He shifts gears, though, and here comes the hope. He says, everyone will be salted with fire. And then it goes on to describe salt is good. If it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Have this salt in yourselves and be at peace. Okay, I got to that part, you guys. I read that, y'all, and I was like, I don't understand that. What's that mean? So I opened up commentary, commentaries and go on the internet. The first thing I read says, these last two verses are some of the most debated and difficult to understand in all of the Bible. Uh, uh. <laughs> well, maybe just this guy's an idiot, so I'll go look at somebody else. I turn to somebody else. And it said the same thing. These are some of the most debated, difficult to understand verses in the scriptures. And I went, oh, great. Everyone is salted with fire. Let me try to boil that down. One camp said that that meant that in line with what we've just been talking about, sin, momentum building, leading to hell, that uh, everybody that ends up in hell will be salted, like corroded away by fire. We know salt is preservative in nature, but we also know that salt has corrosive properties too, right? It rusts stuff. And so in that sense, everybody that ends up in hell will be corroded away by fire, but eternally. Awful picture. But then it goes on to say, but Jesus said, but salt is good. Wait, wait, that, that eternal destruction is good? And somehow the destruction can lose its destructioniness and have this destruction in your Well, that didn't make any sense to me. So the other camp that, that really made a whole lot more sense to me 
What it's really saying here is everyone is gonna be salted with fire. The everyone is referring to everyone who believes in God will be salted with fire. Salt is still in the corrosive sense. But fire here, not, not the fire of hell, but more like refiner's fire or trial by fire, suffering, hardship, tribulation. It's almost a throwback to Mark chapter 8 where Jesus says that if you want to follow him, you got to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow him. That the kingdom of God is not just about reward, it's also about sacrifice. It's, all, it's very hard to be a Christ follower. It's difficult. And he just says everyone who believes will be corroded away by hardship and trial when you are wrestling with sin. It's a guarantee. But that sort of salt is good. We need to be reminded that that trial and that struggle against sin is a good thing. Why is it good? Why is that um, salty, corrosive grace of God good? It's interesting to think of God's grace as salty and corrosive, but you start to think about it and it kind of makes sense. You, you, You get into a struggle in sin and it makes you weak. It should bring a sense of humility to your life, a brokenness to your life that then drives you to your knees and, and to, to the lap of God himself, to the Father. In the struggle where you're just like, I can't take this anymore. I can't fight this. I can't beat this. It's the process by which you get brought to the cross It's the process by which God's grace starts to eat away at the sin in your life. And that hurts, right? It's difficult. It doesn't feel good initially to turn your back on sin and face God. The corrosive, salty grace of God kind of hurts for a while. It hurts to say no to sin and yes to God at the beginning especially. It hurts to allow him to break old habits and cut old addictions and ties. It's hard. But is it worth it? Mm -hmm. Is it important? Yeah. It's crucial. It's the very means of you experiencing the grace of God. And if we lose that salty grace, we got nothing. We got nothing, y'all, if we lose that grace. But if we have it, Jesus says, if we've got that sort of salty grace, that, that heart that just says, I've got this issue in my life, but I'm taking it to Jesus. I'm taking it to this daddy, this God that's got an ability to forgive and heal. And it might get worse before it gets better. Then I got to do it. And when I do, he says, you're going to have peace. You'll have peace internally. You'll have peace eternally. You'll have peace laterally. You have peace relationally with each other. Because instead of sin being the thing that's splashing over, 
It's the grace of God that's splashing over. And we need that sort of splash. We need that sort of salt just being sprinkled everywhere. Sinners that just go, I know what it's like to mess up. I know what it's like to struggle every single day. I do. I'm sure you do. But I got to tell you about this grace of God that when he sprinkles that salt on, it kind of burns a little bit at the beginning, but it starts to eat away at that bad stuff. And I got to tell you, where it leads, it's pretty amazing. If you're writing anything down or just taking mental notes, you just jot down that idea. Do whatever it takes to deal with the sin stuff in your life. And you can get as specific with that as you need to. Computer internet issues, deal with it. Relational issues, deal with it. Thought life issues, deal with it. Don't wait. It gives the devil time. If you're writing stuff down, you might write down a long time without seeing any consequences doesn't mean they're not coming. And that's the deception of the enemy. To allow us to sin and sin and sin and go, it's fine. I don't see any consequences. I don't see any bad effects. And you could skate through, get through a lot of your life that way and get to the place where maybe you've had a relatively consequence-free life and you may have fooled everybody else on the planet. But you get to that final moment someday, but we stand before God and he just goes, I'm sorry, depart from me. I actually, I never knew you. And then the consequences of that, I don't even want to think about. This is more important to write down or mentally take note of though. Do whatever it takes to pursue God as a daddy, as the father that he really wants to be in your life. Because otherwise, then you're just trying to battle sin out of your own strength and your own will. And we all know how that goes. That doesn't work. And, but if you do whatever it takes to connect with this spirit of the living God on a very, very regular basis. I mean, if you need to dive into him 17 times an hour, do it. If you need to carry a notepad with you and just have your antenna up to the spirit of God and just go, I need you to kind of remind me of verses or allow me to process things in light of who you are and I'm gonna jot those down when you bring them to mind, do that. You need to pray more. You need to connect with other believers more. Do it. Do whatever it takes. And move on this three-step journey from being, like, treating God just as God. That's a good start. A lot of people can do that. Moving to the next step of God as Father, understanding that he has chosen to reveal himself as a Father, but moving to the final step, which is a step that I think few of us will ever really get or take, and it's the most crucial, seeing God as Abba, Father, or, or Daddy, Father. God is God. is just like God's this object or force or thing, higher power. 
That's okay. But God doesn't want him to stay that, that role in your life. 245 times in the New Testament, he revealed himself in some way, shape, or form as God as Father. Because he knew that we didn't just need an object or a thing. We needed a relationship. We needed a father. And you might not think of your father. That might be a bad comparison. But if you think of the ideal father, the best protector, the best provider, the best leader, the best lover, the best model, you start to get a little bit more of what God's about. But three times in the New Testament, God's described as, as or called out to as Abba, Father, Daddy. That word Abba in Aramaic is closely translated to Daddy or Papa. And it just speaks so much about intimacy. That's like a little kid seeing Dad and going, Daddy, and jumping up on the lap of the Father out of joy. Or when they're most scared, they just got to get into the hands and the arms of Daddy. Does anything about our walk with God look like he is your daddy? Do you pray to him like daddy? Do you connect with him and talk with him like daddy? When you study his word, is it like you're spending time with daddy? That, that's his heart. But it takes some time to cultivate because the other side of this is true. If you go a long time without seeing the benefits of walking with God doesn't mean that those aren't coming. How many of you have ever walked through a month where you've prayed regularly, you've come to church every Sunday, you've read your Bible and you're like, I don't know if this is doing anything. I don't know if I see any of the benefits. I'm still struggling. I'm still, it takes time. It takes time to sow those seeds and allow them to take root in your life. That's why I love verses like Galatians 6, 9. Such a good reminder, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up in dealing with the sin stuff in your life. And more importantly, do not give up in cultivating a relationship with God that looks like he is your father and your daddy. To that end, may you live. Do it. Let's pray. Father, Daddy, we just need so much of who you are. I need your strength to even have any desire to follow you. I need your power to bring healing. I need your power to fight off temptation. 
I need your power to just hang in there another day and pursuing you even when I, I don't really see how this is benefiting me. When the volume of temptation and sin is just kind of drowning out your voice, I just need you. And so whatever it looks like for any of us in here that that's our journey, would you just give us a heart just to crawl up on your lap? You know what we're struggling with. You know what it's like to be tempted. You know the destructive nature of sin and the momentum that it can build in our lives. You know how hard it is to overcome, and yet you are a God who is greater and stronger than any of our sin. And so, Father, we just ask that you would uh, break those ties. And give us a heart after you. Father, I thank you for every single person in this room that you care so deeply for, that you cared enough to speak up about this issue, that we don't have to be ignorant of it or deceived by the enemy. We lean into you and declare that you are our daddy, our father, and the God of the whole universe that we run to as we wrap things up this morning. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.